You are listening to Afraid Not Podcast with Jill McCormick and Robin Wall. We believe that our stories matter and make us who we are. Every other week, we invite guests to join us and share their stories. Even though our stories have nots, we are not afraid. Our stories are afraid. They are not perfect. We believe the truth of our mess makes us stronger. We hope that God uses these stories to encourage and strengthen your faith as you trust in Him. Our theme verse is Colossians 1, 17, which says, And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together, even our frayed knots. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And this is Afraid Not Podcast. We are so glad you're tuning in to episode number 106 with Chelsea Fulton, who you are going to love her as soon as you're, you lay ears on her. She's so delightful and honest and just a fun person and genuine friend. Chelsea is a pre-K teacher here in Owasso, and she and her husband, Brennan, have been married for several years. They were high school sweethearts, which is so sweet, and they have their own four children, and she is going to tell a story, talk to us about postpartum depression, and even if you haven't had children or your children are grown, this is a very important conversation. We talk a lot about mental health and just um, taking care of yourself and setting boundaries. And listeners, you won't be able to see this because it's audio, but just imagine beautiful flowing locks of blonde hair. Chelsea has really, really amazing hair. And she has, um, we were chatting about this today that because something that she's loved doing over the years is donating her ponytails to Locks of Love. And she has donated six different times. So I'm telling you what, like she's a modern day Rapunzel. so get ready to enjoy this episode with chelsea fulton hi chelsea thank you so much for joining us hello hello and welcome to afraid not we're so happy you're here i'm happy to be here i'm excited chelsea's (laughs) joining us from her classroom her darling darling classroom so tell us about the the sweet little children that you teach what ages and things, you know, what grade? Yes. So uh, this is my first year to teach pre-K. So I teach four and five-year-olds. I see 20 in the morning and 19 in the afternoon. So I have 39 kids in and out of my class every day. Um, But I taught first grade for seven years. And so I like to get to see, you know, my former students stop by and say hi. I had somebody actually bring me gummy bears today (laughs) as a Halloween uh, treat for me. So that was very sweet. So yeah, I I teach pre-K and I absolutely love it. We sing, we dance, we play, and we paint and put glitter on everything. So it's perfect. (laughs) Right up my alley. (laughs) Oh my goodness. And listeners, it's really cool that we, we've we actually known Chelsea since she was in the youth group yes. <laughs> at First yes. Baptist Church Owasso, and uh-huh. now she is a grown-up and married and has her own children, and she's an amazing just young mom and wife and teacher and doing so many amazing things, but just kind of fun that you literally were a teenager when we met you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I remember the first time I saw you was in the musical and Sean and I both were like this girl is super talented like who is this which musical was that musical Mm -hmm. I was Gertrude and my mom has since uncovered the DVD and my husband has shown it to my children and they love it and it, it cracks me up and Ren's always like, where are you, mommy? Where are you, mommy? I'm like, okay, mommy's off stage. This isn't, this isn't my turn to be on stage. Cause she's three, you know? So my kids now get to enjoy that beautiful piece of, you know, Chelsea history. Um, yeah. So, so we've known each other for a while. Yeah. Well, some of our listeners don't have the pleasure of knowing you in real life. So would you give a little snapshot about you? for our listeners so they get the picture, just like a little uh, 20,000 foot view of who's Chelsea Fulton. 
Yes. So um, I have grown up in Owasso, Oklahoma um, my whole life. I'm a third generation Owasso Ram. Um, so our roots are really deep here. Um, came from a wonderful family that I was raised in the church um, and then met my husband in the youth group. Um, and then we got married and um, fell in love and got married. He it was the youth pastor for several years um, and then has now transitioned into, he's the director of the mission, um, which is a, an organ, a ministry through First Baptist that um, supports neighbors in need. So they get, you know, food, um, food items, clothing, personal care products, things like that um, for people that are just in a time of need, but they also get ministered to and uh, the gospel shared with them. And so he's the director of that. And so that shift has changed, you know, a little bit. Um, but together we have four amazing kids. Um, Reese is five, Ren is three, and our boys Brock and Knox will be two next month. So, oh my goodness, they're already almost two? I know, it's wild. Oh. It is wild. They have this wild curly hair that we don't know where it came from. <laughs> it's, they're precious. So, you know, and then I teach, I teach pre-K. So basically between having four kids, um, ages five to two yeah, and, and teaching full-time and my husband's teaching full-time, like that's what we do. We, we work and then we, you know, love and spend time with our family and friends. And so, um, if I'm not in the classroom, I'm playing with my kids or I'm maybe hopefully reading a book or <laughs> sleeping pretty much. So that's, that's kind of it. <laughs> Any more coming, you think? Or is that it? I mean, are you saying children? Mm -hmm. No, no, <laughs> no, that's a no, 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 no. Um, we love our kids. That the way that they came was not the plan for us. And so, yeah, no more kids for so us. Your three pregnancies, were they all three surprise pregnancies? No. So with Reese, we de like, yes, we were trying and, and very thrilled to get, you know, to be pregnant and to have our first baby. Ren, we were not trying and, but we were, you know, that kind of mm -hmm. thing. And then, so the boys are a whole different story. You know, everyone, once we had two, everyone's like, so are you going to try, we had two girls, you know, so are you going to try for a boy? And we're like, well, let's see how with two, like before we just keep going down the line, you know? Well, then um, the pandemic happened and we were on a Zoom call much like this and uh, with some friends and they're like, oh, who's going to have the COVID babies or who's going to have the next COVID baby? And we're like, oh my gosh, not us. Like are we, we are not having a baby during the pandemic. That is, and then we got two. So and then surprise, <laughs> you got two. Surprise, we got two. We even announced and we're like, oh, look, number three. And then a few weeks later, we're like, plot twist, um, family of six, here we come. So it was <laughs> a surprise, but a wonderful surprise. And I can't imagine life without either one of those crazy boys. So are Brock and Knox identical or fraternal? They are fraternal. So yeah, they, so they had their own placenta and their own sack. So they're fraternal. However, they're very difficult to tell apart. Um, and so there's like a 30% chance that they could actually be identical. Um, oh, wow. Huh. Yeah. So it would be like the egg split early enough that it developed its own. Anyway, huh. well, different science lesson. Oh, but interesting. They are, they are fraternal, but there's a possibility they could be identical. We just haven't done any like blood work or anything like that. Mm -hmm. so. mm -hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Very cool. Mm -hmm. have you did you always want to be a teacher growing up yes yes when I was in first grade I had the sweetest teacher Mrs. Miller I was actually retained in first grade I had to I had to do first grade again and she I just always felt so loved by her and I always felt encouraged by her and like you know people think that when you're little you know you can be whatever you want like I believed that because of her but I you know, I didn't, you think about teachers and I don't necessarily think of that being like the big dream, like of this big monster, you know, thing. 
Um, but it is, and, and that was my dream. And now I get to live that. So I'm just, it's cool to see what I started out loving and, and now I still love it and I'm, I'm still doing it. So it's a little dream, but I accomplished my little dream. So that's so good. Yeah, it's a big dream. You're, I mean, you're yeah. handling 39 kids every day besides yeah. your, yeah. which I think that that may strike fear into the hearts of some of our listeners thinking, <laughs> 39 four-year-olds what <laughs> um especially we're recording this the week of halloween so i'm sure tuesday was super fun so if i'm honest <laughs> i i did i was sick on tuesday but my husband can verify i was legitimately coughing my head off could not talk so i did not get to experience the aftermath of halloween not the direct aftermath but i can't imagine it was great so <laughs> <laughs> I had just said today, I just said to somebody today, I was like, I would not want to be a kindergarten pre-K teacher the day after Halloween. No, thank you. No. And it's just really unfortunate that it was on a Monday this year. Like that mm-hmm. was really poor planning. Why can't it be <laughs> Thanksgiving where it's like. Exactly. The fourth Thursday of every month, like the last Friday in October, that's Halloween. I'm starting. You've got a great plan. Let's start that petition right now. We could petition this and see it happen in our nation. (laughs) I think all parents who've ever had a child would agree. Yes. We would agree. We could. It's insane. Yes. Or teachers. All teachers also would agree. I mean, we're getting business done on the podcast. Business is being accomplished and decisions are best. Our job is changing the world one holiday at a time. Now that that we have changed the world, I would (laughs) love to hear. The story that the Lord's put on your heart, Chelsea, this is a, such a, a reflection of life that our, our messes are just frayed, We're just an, a bundle of messes sometimes, and yeah. the Lord just works things out and holds it all together, and so we would love to hear one of the stories that the Lord's brought you through, and you can begin wherever you would like, and we just are ready to hear your story. Yeah, Absolutely. So, you know, like I said, I grew up in church. Um, so when I initially like had my salvation story, came to know the Lord, I was a kid and I, I had the head knowledge of, yes, I understand that I'm a sinner and yes, I understand what the consequences of that are. And I understand what I need to, to be free of those consequences, Um, so I had all the head knowledge and I made that decision out of head knowledge, but my heart change did not come immediately because I, what I understood in my head wasn't full capacity of what that meant. And so I would say when I was 15, um, I was at a camp summit at OU and I was in Rayleigh Chapel and there was crosses all over the back. Um, and after one of the sessions, I just went, I just felt like I needed to be alone with the Lord. And I went to the back of Rayleigh Chapel, and that's where I feel like I really and truly surrendered my head and surrendered my heart to the Lord. And and I truly desired to, you know, live my life for him um, and and to walk away from some some things to be able to walk towards him. Um, And so that's really my salvation story, my, my testimony, if you will. Um, but we all know that beyond that decision, um, hardships come, trials come, and, and that's where that faith comes in and where, where you're tested. And so one of those things, you know, for me, as I felt like I was often in proximity of trials, you know, for different family members, um, or I was like getting the wake of of the issue right um but it wasn't directly affecting me i didn't directly have just many challenges until um until i had children i mean to be honest and um so when i had written um so i had her in 2019 um it was around so she was born in april in july i started noticing that you know, my hormones, my emotions and things were really, um, extreme and, and were just not where they should be. Um, and I didn't, but I didn't 
do anything yet. Um, and so I kind of kept all of that to myself and just told myself like, you need to just press forward. You need to suck it up. You need to, you know, um, you just, you shouldn't be feeling this way. Like there's no reason to, to be feeling this bad. You have this beautiful child. Why are you feeling this way? Why are you so irritable? Why are you this? Why are you that? Um, so then I just kind of stuffed it. I stuffed it down. And then Brennan was still a youth pastor at the time. And he took kids to, um, on a mission trip over fall break. And so I was off work and I was home with both the girls. Um, Reese was, you know, two and a half and Ren was about six months old and he came home and I was so happy to see him home because I was running the ship by myself, you know, and, um, he's like trying to, to do something nice. And he's like, let's go to Hobby Lobby. And so I'm like, okay, you know, well, I want to get some new things. Okay, great. And we go and he even like takes the girls off in another direction. And I just like the anxiety and the pressure and all of this was building up inside of me. And I just, I hear babies crying. It's not even my child. I know it's not my child, but I just feel out of, out of body and out of control. Mm -hmm. So I go and find Brennan and I'm like, we need to leave. Like we, we need to go get in the car right now. And I got, we got into the car, got kids out and I start just like having my first panic attack, um, in Hobby Lobby, which is my happy place of all places. So, um, that was obviously really challenging. Um, because I hadn't shared anything to, even to my husband at that point, he's obviously very confused. Um, and like most men, like he jumps into fix it, like, what's wrong? What's wrong? How can I help? What do you need? Do you, what mm -hmm. do, we do? Where do we need to go? And I don't even know really what's happening to me at that point. Um, so, but that did open up a conversation. And at that point, you know, Brennan and I started talking about how I was feeling and what was going on. And, and I was able to kind of get that out and share with him how I had been feeling for a long time that, that I wasn't sharing with anybody. Yeah. Cause this started in July, right? So you're all the way over to October. I would say, yes. So I think that ultimately my, my postpartum depression and anxiety began after I delivered Ren. And when I, I don't even think I was aware that things weren't quote unquote normal until July. And then it was October before I told anybody but myself, you know, like mm -hmm. really, really came to terms with it. And that was really only because I had a panic attack and my husband needed to know what was, why that happened. Um, so yeah, that's what happened. And then, so starting from there, you know, we opened up the conversation. This is what, this is how I'm feeling. And again, my husband and Sometimes, and Robin, you probably understand this, like sometimes your husband comes into pastor mode and you're like, oh no, I, I, I need you to be my husband right now. And so he had a moment where he was in a pastor mode and he was like, um, he said, Chelsea, you need to pray about this. Like you need to pray. We need to pray about this and seek the Lord. And I've, I've been known to be a little sassy from time to time. And <laughs> I looked at him and I said, if you don't think that I've been praying about this every single day, then you don't really. And so then he was like, oh, okay, this isn't something that has immediately happened. This has been ongoing mm -hmm. and, and she's, and she needs me to listen and she needs me to then work with her to find some help. Um, I had a visit with my OB shortly after that. And so I, you know, talk with her, she recommends medication, which I like thought that that was probably something that I needed to look into. Um, but I also felt really convicted that I needed to seek, um, a mental health professional along with that. Um, because I didn't want to just, take medication and hope it went away. I knew that ultimately while like postpartum depression and anxiety was like the big trigger trigger and the big, you know, 
uh, factor in it all. Mm -hmm. I also knew that I was going to need help, like to change um, behaviors, change um, coping skills, change. I need, I needed to learn some new skills in how to handle these new factors in my life of, of being a mom, being a mom of two, um, the new role that that meant in ministry, not being, you know, necessarily side by side with Brennan, but being in the, in the background and on the side, or even at home, taking care of our family so that he could do his job in ministry. There was a lot a lot of change, a lot of additions to my mm-hmm. role, but also a lot of change in roles. And even at that time, being deep in it, I knew I knew I needed further help. So, you know, from April having Ren to December, December is when I saw a psychologist to help manage the medication side, but also to talk and see like what what is going on here and help me navigate this, help me figure this out. And, and Brennan went with me because probably to ensure that I went, honestly, <laughs> but, um, which meant so much because he could have just said, yeah, I hope you have a good appointment today. Um, but he actually took time out of his day and went and went with me and sat in the waiting room and waited for me, you know, to be done. But so had you had any kind of depression issues at all growing up? No, I mean, I did as a teenager and I told my psychologist that as well. I said, you know, when I was 13, I had issues with, you know, this and, but ultimately when I look back as a teenager, I think that I was having like, you know, normal teenage stuff. Yeah. No, again, didn't know how to cope, didn't know how to deal and, and didn't want to talk to anybody about it at that point. Um, and so, and so we talked about that during my visit. I remember asking her, um, I said, on a scale, on a scale of one to 10, how unhealthy am I? <laughs> and she kind of laughed and she's like, you're a very healthy person. Like the fact that you're the way to even you're- ask that question. Yes. Yes. Which was, you know, reassuring to me, but I was like, how unhealthy am I? Because when you hear mental health, you think mental health illness. And so for me, then I had to think I'm a sick person. Like I'm, I'm sick. And I don't, I personally don't look at it like that. I don't think that there's something wrong with me. I don't think that I am ill or, you know, harmful to myself or anyone else, which is, I think the stigma and the, the conversation that generally surrounds mental health. Um, I I think that I'm a person, how it was explained to me is because I remember telling her, so a little more, a little more detail I want to add in here. Um, at the time of all of this, I had a dear friend that had a miscarriage I had another friend that son who was just five weeks younger than Ren, um, going through open heart surgery and recovering from that. And I had a sister-in-law that, you know, had been through two rounds of IVF that were unsuccessful. So on top of me feeling this way, after having this beautiful, wonderful, perfect baby, I have these friends and these family members that would move mountains to have this healthy baby. So why do I feel like that? Like, why do I feel this way? And I have no reason. I have no reason. And I remember being very angry about that. Very angry that um, these people that I love and care for don't have what I have mm-hmm. and I have it. And I feel this way. I should be ashamed. Like that, that's how I felt about myself. Um, Do you think that was a part of the contributing factor though, that you were carrying this stuff for other people? Yes. So that, that is one of the things that one of the first things my psychologist said to me was um, when I asked her how, you know, how unhealthy I am, she was like, you're a healthy person. She said, but you're an overly empathetic perfectionist that, you know, 
you you don't have the capacity to to do and carry the things that you're carrying for other people. Um, and like I said, you know, before of having an immediate struggle for myself, I I kind of got the wake, um, the the overspill of other people's um, trials, and I did like I carried that for them in a way mm-hmm. that I shouldn't have. You know, there's, there's empathy. I want to be an empathetic person and I want to have compassion for people, but there's also boundaries that need to be had. And there's, there's a way to hold that weight without it feeling like it's crushing you. Um, until, until I got on medication, until I got to a place where I was able to pick up some new coping skills and, and have open conversations with my husband, um, I felt like I had cinder blocks on my chest, just a stack of cinder blocks. And it didn't matter what time of day it was. It didn't matter, you know, the good things that were happening, the bad things that were happening. It just, I just felt heavy and Mm -hmm. like my chest could just explode at any time. And so I'm thankful that I sought, you know, the medical side of help that I needed as well, because I don't think if I, if I wouldn't have done that, I think it would have been a lot more difficult and took, taken me a lot longer to get to where I am now. Let me ask you about that. Both of you being minister's wives, um, that, does that make it harder if you, as being kind of upfront at church and your husband is on staff and that this is how we look and all that, does that make it more difficult to help? Absolutely. Um, I will speak for myself. I'm not going to speak for Robin, but I will say for myself, that's, that was absolutely a fear of mine. Um, and so, you know, we went to Tulsa for that, you know, like there was just things that we, I, this, this is my first time to really allow it to be public knowledge that this is something that I've battled, that I am battling, that I'm working through. Um, you know, at first it was my husband and then it was my husband and one friend, and then it was my husband and three friends, you know, and, uh, and it's that circle has slowly grown. Like, I don't even think I told my mom until like the last six months, maybe, you know, I just, I couldn't get there yet Mm -hmm. because I still had this feeling of like, how does that look? What will people think in response and will that change the way that they feel about me, the way that they think about me, the trust that they put in me for different things? You know, there, there's definitely a challenge there. And I, I don't think it matters whether you're in a, you know, pastoral role, if your husband's in a pastoral role, or if you're just, you know, any old person, quote unquote. Um, I think there is for people to feel the stigma or the, the judgment, whatever may come from, from seeking help or just from even admitting to, to the struggles that we have. I I just didn't know if that would have been a fear of like, we're supposed to be the spiritual leaders and we just pray and it's all going to be fine. And God's in control. And what will this, what will the church think of me admitting this? Yeah. How did this show up for you at work too? Because as you're realizing, hey, this is really, I can't just stuff this. This is literally boiling over and I can't stuff it. So that that doesn't mean that you got a break from all the other day to day to day. You're still mom and teacher and doing laundry and making lunches. And you know, mm-hmm. how did that show up in your day to day, like surviving the days every day? Yeah, I listen to a lot of worship. <laughs> I listen to a lot of worship and that soothes me. Um, Isaiah 54, 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my undying love for you will not fade, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. And I have to remind myself that he sees me. Other people won't. Other people may not. This someone may hear this that knows me and be completely surprised or or not. I don't know how how they'll respond to that. But 
but he, God sees me and he sees my struggle. He's giving me peace. And he not only does that, but he has compassion for me. He cares about it. And he ultimately just wants me to seek him through it. And so I think, I think that is ultimately what I've done in the day to day is just kind of, and I've had to, I have had to address a lot of boundaries, whether it be work related, not bringing work home after school, not that that happens a hundred percent of the time, but you know, um, I, I had to create some more boundaries, a lot more, um, internal boundaries, a lot more emotional and mental boundaries than external boundaries necessarily. Um, and that has been hard because, you know, like I said, I've always been the one to carry things for other people and not doing that has looked different, you know, and, and been a challenge, but it's been something that I've had to do. And my, I, as a person and my family as a family has, has been better for it. So I just heard Lisa Turkrish, Robin, you may have heard this on um, the happy hour. She was talking about her new book about boundaries mm-hmm. and how it is hard as Christian women, especially growing up in church to know how to set boundaries because we're supposed to take care of people and we're supposed to do this and this is our ministry. But if you're not healthy and setting your own healthy boundaries, mm. work. I mean, Jesus yeah. had to set boundaries. Yeah. Some things. So that's, we just have to know, learn how to do that in a healthy way. So. Yeah. And Chelsea, I'm just so glad that you were honest with Brennan and got the help and got the, when you were saying, this is something that I know I need help with. I think that sets a great example because so many people today need to hear that like it's when you need help and you get the help you need that is the very best possible path for you to act like you don't need help and just keep hiding that is so unhealthy for you Mm -hmm. and for everyone you love that Mm -hmm. they care about you and and as you know a person that's going through something hard if they're just continuing to as you said stuff it yeah. And there's just this turmoil beneath the surface. Mm-hmm. And I think um, as someone who is looked up to at church, I'm sure that people look up to you at church. That's what I meant. That you're setting a great example and saying, yeah. when you need help, you get help. And that that's, that's a great path to take towards being the person that God wants you to be. And being able to be the healthy you with all the things that are getting the, the attention needed for those situations so that you're not just trying to struggle through by yourself. Mm-hmm. And have you been able to feel like now looking back at how far you've come since like that day at the Hobby Lobby, mm-hmm. how do you feel like now have you gained some you know, skills, coping skills to just navigate these things? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have, I've, you know, created different boundaries. I've um, opened up and talking to people and sharing with people and realizing that a lot more women experience this than, than it really gets talked about. I think that a lot of people say, I think that the the idea is just like, you know, you have this baby and it's beautiful and it's, you know, and then and then the people that, you know, are in a different phase, their their kids are grown and out of the house, they're like, oh, cherish every minute because you never get it back. And those words are meant to be helpful. But when you're a mom with postpartum, you know, depression and anxiety, it feels like another hit of like, why why don't I feel what you're telling me I'm supposed mm-hmm. to be feeling right now? And does that make me a bad mom? You know, and the spiral, the mental spiral that happens, you know, after that. Um, so we get this idea in our head that it's supposed to be this blissful, wonderful time. And in many ways it is, I won't negate that. Like 
I love seeing Ren's big blue eyes and her baby pictures. And like that is, I could just stare at her all day, you know? So there were happy moments there. There were the joys of, of having a newborn baby. Absolutely. But, you know, accompanied with it, there were these very severe struggles that I was experiencing and that no one had ever talked to me about. I was one of the first to have, you know, babies in, in my friend groups and things. And so I'm kind of leading the way in this. And, and, and as far as I know, I'm supposed to be happy, go lucky and be back to my, you know, pre-pregnancy genes and all of those things. And so, you know, I think people kind of get a little further removed from it, from after they have their, you know, their kids and their kids are older and moved on and you forget um, how deep those trenches can be. Um, but ultimately I think that I have made such good progress. Um, I will say with that being said, because I want to be fully transparent last week, I had a day out of nowhere. And I, I remember texting me, I don't know, I can't pinpoint where it's coming from, you know? And he said, tried to help like, Hey, we can talk about it after work, you know, whatever. And, and we did. And, and that definitely helped. Um, I think that I read part of the book, um, your body keeps the score Mm -hmm. and I know enough to know that essentially I had my first panic attack, October, 2019. And then I went on bed rest with the boys, um, end of October, 2020. So two years in a row in October, having these major events. And I told Brennan, I'm like, that's the only thing I can think of is that my body is just like, oh, it's October. Something's about, to, you know, yeah. the world is about to end because that is essentially what has felt like has happened in the past. And so I think the more I'm aware of, of what my triggers are, what, and like, even things like sleep, even things mm-hmm. like basic things, getting outside, taking a shower, like an uninterrupted, no children in the bathroom shower, those kinds of things, you know, even are, are helpful. Um, but ultimately, and I've talked to friends about this. I kind of have a love hate relationship with the word self-care because self-care in like the world terms feels like, you know, just go get your nails done and, get a pumpkin spice latte and things will be fine. And, but we all know that those things are not sustainable. Those things are not meant, but that's, that's not what we're meant to live and survive off of. We're meant to survive off things from the Lord. And so, you know, I talk to the Lord a lot throughout my day. Um, I talk to my husband a lot who is always, you know, seeking the Lord and finding ways to point me back to him. And I worship a lot and all of those things I think contribute to, um, putting me on the path where I am. I don't want anyone to think that, oh, look, she's, you know, like you said, she's got it all together now again. So now she can talk about it because she's fine. Like, no, last week I was crying in bed. (laughs) So that there is definitely, I don't, I really don't think that I will be whole until I see Jesus, like, because Mm -hmm because the world is imperfect and, and as hard as I try, I, I can't be. And so I will still have struggles. I will still battle anxiety. You know, I hope that I can, I can get better this side of heaven. Right. But I think that realizing that the only thing that will make me whole is Jesus gives me some grace to know that it's okay. It's okay that I struggle. It's okay that, that I need help. It's okay that my boundaries have changed because that's, that's what I've got to do until, until I see him one day. And I think it's so important to talk about these things. And I'm so glad that you are in dropping the stigma, even on medication. Like I, after I had my children, I had, I'd gone to the doctor, the OBGYN and I said, yeah. what's going on? And she said, well, I'm going to put you on this medication. And I yeah. said, and I was in, school for counseling at the time. And I said, I'm going to be a counselor. I can't be on depression meds. What are you talking about? She's like, what are you talking about? Like you're superwoman now, like 
people have to get on these things. It's not that it's not uncommon. And I was like, oh, okay. And it just made it okay. Yeah. But I don't have to have all of it together either. (laughs) Right. Right. And that's, that's an important piece to take is, you know, I hope that anyone that's listening that is in a similar situation, um, whether it's current or not, you know, maybe it's like, you, you know, someone who looks back and, and has always maybe felt bad, felt guilty, felt ashamed of the way that they felt postpartum and thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm not the only one or, or if it's the new mom with the crying baby in her lap and tears running down her face thinking she gets me, you know, like whatever it is, I hope that that it resonates with someone and and realize you're not alone and realize that it's a season and with help whether it's you know on the medical side or your small group or your husband mm-hmm. or your mom I mean somebody somebody is there to help you and and to walk you through this journey because it is it is hard it is difficult and what would you say Chelsea is a good first step for someone who's listening today and they're like, oh my goodness, I needed to hear this because maybe they haven't told a single person how they're feeling inside. So what's a good first step for them? And what would you encourage towards a path of, of help? Yeah, I mean, you know, for me, I had to, you have to acknowledge it first. You have to come to terms with, this is a thing, you know, this is happening. You have to acknowledge it. Um, and you have to identify, you know, you have to identify what it is, wh- why, when it's happening, things like that. Um, and then going to to your person. So for me, you know, that was my husband. And, and making a commitment with that person that, that you will seek help in whatever way that that looks like because when you acknowledge it identify it however you want to say that whenever you acknowledge it and identify it and then when you communicate about it it, it's now real someone else knows and they can help keep you accountable for that in a way in a loving way that can make you want to seek help in the right way Um, and I would also say, you know, if you're in a position where maybe you don't have that person accessible for you right now, for whatever reason, there's a church near you that would love to, you know, reach out to you. There is someone, yes, even in the walls of a church, yes, even a pastor's wife that, that has had these struggles and would love to just listen to you to encourage you, to pray for you, and to help you in any way that, that you might need that. So that's, that's beautiful. Um, can you talk real quick about like, what, what are some of the boundaries that you had to put into place? Yeah. So honestly, um, my, my side of the family has, something, always something, you know, kind of going on. Um, and I'm not going to speak directly about that because it's not my story, but I carried that a lot. Um, I carried that burden, um, in many, many ways. And so I have had to kind of separate. Um, sometimes that means, you know, listening to that person, and not, not trying to fix it, not, you know, coming in as savior and rescuer and trying to, you know, meddle in it, but just, just really listening and letting that person get out what they need to share without taking it on. And so that looked different, um, work boundaries. I mean, I love what I do. I believe other than being a mother, that being, you know, a teacher in a public school is, is my calling. Um, and I, I take it very seriously. I love finding new ideas and doing new projects and, 
that would tend, you know, there's only so many hours in a day and like, can you take your eye off one four-year-old? No. So you can't take your eye off 24-year-olds. So those things don't happen during the day. So when do they happen? After school, before school, on the weekend, you know? So changing boundaries, not coming up on the weekend, not taking things home in the evening, because ultimately those things started prioritizing or started coming into my family time. And then my, and then that triggered me because now I'm a bad mom because I'm not spending time with my kids when I have time to be with my kids. And I'm already a bad mom because I'm a working mom. Like, you know, like it just would cycle mm-hmm. through. Mm-hmm. And so I did, I had to set work boundaries and, you know, maybe my poster wasn't laminated or maybe my poster wasn't, you know, maybe it wasn't a, a Pinterest worthy classroom transformation or whatever it is but hey my kids you know they came they learned they were loved and and that was my new standard um one of the things that I tell moms um is to change your expectations like you need to drastically lower your expectations if you have lowered it's like taking family pictures like if you have this expectation that it is going to be, everyone is smiling. There's no stains on anyone's dress. Nobody's going to jump in the mud before they get, you know, to the picture location or that it's not going to be the windiest day in Oklahoma, the day that you take pictures. Like if you have that expectation, then you are going to be set up to be very upset. And I don't like being very upset. So I have started lowering my expectations to be realistic. I think that I, I am a perfectionist. I like to do things very, very well. And in these new roles and with all of these children that I've been blessed with, I can only do so much. And so, you know, changing those expectations to be something that's realistic and manageable. And it's so hard. It's so hard to do that when every influencer in their dog you know, wears a size four and has beautiful hair and makeup and they have seven children that are all dressed and ready to go for school. And they like, you know, baked their own sourdough bread to put it on there. You know, they do all these things. And so then that person thing comes in. So like, step back, take your expectations down a notch. Don't, you don't have to do all of the things, but the things that you do, let the things that you do be done well. And so that has been more of my goal. Um, And I hopefully succeed at that. Chelsea, something you said so rang true with me. So much of life is not Pinterest worthy. So much. Or Instagram worthy. Or or Instagram. Or highlight reel. Yeah. Just most of our lives are Mm -hmm. just the mundane, the little bitty. and, And finding the joys in that is so so worthwhile but it's not Mm. some pretty shiny thing it's not and we get the wrong idea and I'm sure listeners are nodding their heads going oh yeah yeah I totally do this you know where you see Mm -hmm. you see the example on whatever the social media and you're like oh but she has that and she wears this and and it just is so unrealistic Mm -hmm. so so much of our lives I would say really like all of our lives, we're not Pinterest worthy and that's okay. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. And we're not Pinterest worthy and proud. That's right. That's right. Changing, changing yeah. the world again at the end of the episode. <laughs> I was talking to a friend. Okay. Like a uh, confession that I might, uh, I like trash TV. That's my guilty pleasure. But I was like, why don't I look like these girls on the beach and bachelor in paradise? Uh, girl, cause you're not 27. First of all, what, what am I even doing? <laughs> You're not 27, Jill? Wait. Not. I know. Well, uh-huh. neither am I. And I've had two children. So, I mean, I don't know what you do. Yeah. yeah. I That's think what I, I say. I'm like, I've had four kids. Two of them I delivered and two of them were surgically removed from my body. I'm allowed to look like how I want, how I look <laughs> right now, you know? And you are beautiful just the way you are. And your family is beautiful. I just, when we see you all, it's such a blessing. It, it just reminds me of the, the sweet gifts that God has given 
to you and Brennan, but just just what sweet gifts the day to day of just seeing as your little ones are growing up. And like you said, your twins are almost two, which just feels so bizarre that they could be that old. But um, I remember the moment talking with you and just saying, what it's twins and just oh, the conversation, just seeing what sweet gifts. And I think it's a sweet gift of the Lord that you are able to be the mom you are today because you didn't stay in that dark space and just keep stuffing it down and acting like everything's fine when you really were like, no, I'm not really fine. So it's just a sweet gift that God has given you. And listeners, if you're thinking today, maybe it's time, maybe I do need to actually admit that um, I'm not fine. And that we want you to say, we want to tell you today, you are worthy of getting the help you need to make that life the most wonderful that you can. And that it is, it is not some kind of a Christian fail. If you need help, no, we're all on the process of we're broken people that God is just restoring Mm -hmm. and healing as we walk through our messy lives. So Mm -hmm. you're not alone listeners. if you're feeling that way today. That's right. None of us come out of this unscathed. We're all going to get something. Yes. So. Well, thank you so much, Chelsea, for sharing your story with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for letting me share it. You are such a treasure. We love you and thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for being with us, everyone. We're so glad that you listened today to Chelsea's story. And just as a reminder, listener, Something that Chelsea shared today, it's not only a precious gift that the Lord gave her, it's also a gift for you. Today, right now, Isaiah 54:10. this is the verse, put your name in it and hear it for yourself. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed says the Lord who has compassion on you. That's how the Lord feels about you today. I appreciate that Chelsea talked about acknowledging it and talking to somebody and getting seeking help when you see these signs showing up. Um, or if sometimes it's somebody else comes to you and says, hey, I'm, I'm noticing something and I, I think we need to do a check-in. And setting boundaries is important. Um, I think as Christian women, sometimes that's very difficult for us to do, and but it's vital for us to do. So um, we appreciate you all listening, and please don't judge me for my trash reality show. <laughs> <laughs> um, remember to rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend. Uh, if you send us a great review, we might just read it on air. Who knows? So. We'll see you in a couple weeks. See you in two weeks. Bye.